0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church.
1: Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And this week, uh, I talked to, well, communicated with somebody uh, in another part of the country who's as he's getting his life together. And uh, he said some comments in me in our exchange back and forth that just kept ticking away at my mind and pondering uh, in relationship to a lot of the other things that we see going on in the world today. We just had a... I don't know if it was a State of the Union address, but it was an address from the President of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, concerning the wall and the shutdown. And... uh, And people's reaction to it, I I traveled to another uh, town nearby and and heard other people's reactions to uh, things that are going on in the world today. And I see things in our own local community, which is kind of a microcosm of the rest of the world. And when I say microcosm, we live in a very small community, very rural community. We know almost everybody in the community. And we see the same things playing out in our community in the rest of the world and it it gives me ponder or moment of pause to to wonder what, to, to, to look a little deeper into what's going on into the rest of the world. What's going on in the minds of the people. I've always been kind of a people watcher and and fascinated by people and how they think and why they think what they think. And most people don't know why they think what they think. They're very uh, emotionalized, responsive to You know, the things that they've learned in the past, the things that they hear. I mean, we always hear these phrases now that someone is triggered. I guess it was some sort of report that came out of universities, uh, I think, in Great Britain, where the college administration is saying that uh, professors, when giving assignments to students, should not use all caps because that is intimidating somehow the students because it's aggressive and I thought, like, and of course, the, the announcer thought it was crazy. <laughs> People thought it was crazy. But evidently, the administration of the college thought it was a good idea <laughs> to send out this memo. So, I guess crazy is relative. Insane is relative. And uh, I, I we've always had insanity wandering around in humanity. Crazy things. I remember once when I was a small boy, my father said, nobody would start a nuclear war because they would have to be insane. And I said, we've never had a shortage of insane people. And the reality, I mean, who who would start World War II? Who would kill out, you know, 100 million people because they wanted to establish a socialist government and uh, they wanted to stop all opposition and, uh, you know, just kill, kill, kill. I mean, who would argue it just depends on your point of view. Who would argue that killing, that was it, it's somebody in um, New York, I guess, just came out and wants guaranteed abortion right up to the day of birth. You can kill that child right up to the last day. And he thinks that's reasonable. And evidently, there's lots and lots of people who support him in that. Uh, it, to To me, that's insane. But to somebody else, that's that's their reproductive right. They actually call abortion a reproductive right. Uh, that's a that's a, that's a right to kill. That's a right to destroy. You know. And but people don't see it that way. Uh, and I understand they don't see it that way. But does anybody understand why they don't see it that way? <laughs> How do you come to the conclusions that you come to? And and the individual that I was communicating with. Uh, uh, he, he's talking about getting his life in order, but he's kind of saying, to some degree, by himself. He Only he can do that. And I kind of wonder, is that really the right approach? I mean, to some degree, that's absolutely true. But if you look at it from another angle, that may not be true. And that's the that we have to kind of walk around our problems. Walk around our own selves. Walk around our life. Look at ourselves from other people's point of view. To, to get into their shoes and see ourselves as they see us. The selfish man doesn't do that. The man who's learning to be unselfish, and I have to say learning, because I don't know anybody who isn't somewhat selfish. But that we are learning to create a balance of unselfishness. And that's really what the message of Christ is all about. We had to love our neighbor as ourselves. The message of Moses was saying the same thing. Well, we had to to kind of see ourselves through our neighbor's eyes. Why why are they so angry with us? Why are they so mad? And reality is, is that much of the anger and animosity that's going on in the world today is the result of a spiritual position, not a political position. That spiritual position may manifest itself in a political position or a social economic position or you know, you want socialism you think capitalism is bad. And you can sit there and reason with people and, and point out that capitalism has brought more people out of poverty at a faster rate than almost any other type of economic system, because capitalism is an economic system, it's not a political system you can you can have capitalism in an economic uh, system a, a, a capitalism in a political system and then but then it's not the problems that are created may not be the problem of capitalism, it's the problem of the political system. You know, socialism is a political system. It's a political economic system. But capitalism, so they're not really opposites. Capitalism is simply the private ownership of the means of production. What you produce is yours. You gather nuts in the woods like a squirrel. Those nuts belong to that squirrel. That's because he gathered them. He has a property right in them because he gathered them. He doesn't own them entirely, but he has some... You cannot take away the nuts of that squirrel without taking away some of his right to them. Because he gathered them. You go along and you just kick that pile of nuts all over the woods and you have violated the property rights of a squirrel. If a squirrel could have property rights. But, uh, I mean, he gathered them. Now he's going to have to go gather them again. You know, and I always remember this... You know, I was flipping over boards, cleaning out a shed... And I flipped over this one board, and there were three clearly dug-out little conal-shaped uh, holes underneath the board. In one pile in the in the hole was grain, uh, grains of wheat, seeds, all piled up. Just just grains of wheat, nothing else, piled up in that little hole. Next to it, about an inch and a half away, two inches away was another little hole, neatly carved out in the sand, like a little conal hole, and it was filled with blades of grass stacked up like cordwood. The long blades of grass, three inches long, stacked up like cordwood, just in that pile, just neatly piled up. And then there was the third little hole that was there, and in that little hole was a neat little pile of cat food <laughs> okay well some mouse had been busy going out collecting shoots of grass green grass when there was and then piling up and that was his little haystack his greens and then he had his little pile of of grain uh, which was his carbohydrates and then over here he had found the cat food that was for the cats in the shed and he had been stealing little pieces of that cat food Stockpiling them up, it it almost broke my heart to mess that all up to finish cleaning out the shed. He had put so much work in there and stored up his his goods, but that's capitalism. That that was his industry that went and did that. Uh, of course, we had the cats to keep rid, get rid of the mice because too many mice is not a good thing. <laughs> but, but I was admiring his industry and his organization skills, and he was amazing. There's a lot of people who could learn from that mouse. Uh, but, anyway, so the, the that's that individual mouse. He probably had a family somewhere that he was raising up, and uh, he probably did well wherever he went to. <laughs> uh, but uh, the uh, the idea, can we fix ourselves? Uh, is that even possible? No man is an island, is a, s- a saying that we've heard many times in the past. Uh, you know, it's it's a- a- and in the Bible it says it's not right that man be alone. And so, you know, when man was created, then he also created this woman. And and uh, you know exactly what was going on there. This this story of Adam and Eve uh, is trying to tell us something about the character of mankind. Well. Jesus, when talking about man and woman from the beginning, one man, one woman, no more twain, but one. So once they're united as this family unit of man and woman and their their offspring, that's that's one, that's one unit. So is it right that that one unit be alone? It's no more twain. It's a one unit thing. It's this corporate thing we call a family, corporate in nature, corporate in Uh, reality of creation. It's, It's part of that, you know, oneness that God created, that single unit. Should that single unit exist alone? Or does it need to exist with other similar units, other families? Well, those families, those other families, when they come together, how should they come together? How should they interact? The same principles that we see with the single man and single woman coming together, so also families come together. It's it's uh, the patterns of nature repeat themselves. So if we are to love one another in the family, we are also to, as families are to love one another. Families. So how do they come together? So this is part of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we should not forsake the gathering together. That's a principle we hear in the Bible. Clearly, the Bible is always talking about Israel and these tribes and they coming together. And they're there for the purposes of being priests to all other nations, all other peoples. One of the things that Christ says is that we cannot be forgiven unless we forgive others. If you do not forgive others, neither will my Father forgive you. So everybody says, I'm forgiven because Christ died. If you aren't forgiving other people, you're not forgiven. Christ made it possible that you could be forgiven. But if you are not forgiving others, you are not forgiven. If you don't believe that, then you don't believe Christ. Because that's what Christ said. He also talked talked about laying down his life. That he could pick up his life more abundantly. Again, no greater love that we have for others than that we lay our, down our life for our fellow man. Principle repeated over and over again throughout nature, throughout history. Whatever. So, who do you lay down your life for if not for other families, for other people? And we we live in this cause and effect universe. And like I said, the patterns of that universe, the patterns of creation are repeated over and over again. Just as husbands are to love their wives and and wives their husbands uh, according to the nature of their being so also must we love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I mentioned Trump at the beginning of this broadcast. You know, he had this presidential uh, address concerning the wall and um, the the opposition, the opponents demanded media time for the opposing political pundits position and their propaganda. And, uh, you know, on on the wall, in the position of the wall, if all people who claim to be Christians were really doing what the early church did and what Christ said to do and what John the Baptist said to do and the apostles said to do, you probably wouldn't need a wall. But if you're going to have a, a democratic socialist state, uh, and let all kinds of people. And what is it? Ron Paul was saying that if you simply took away the incentives of coming here, which is this democratic socialism, uh, then uh, they you wouldn't have the wrong kind of people coming in here. You, if you, ha- if you're, you know, if uh, ten, twenty percent of the American population is going to take drugs, there's going to be the vacuum of the need for those drugs is going to come across that border. And, you know, I hear all kinds of people arguing their point, but there seems to be a large percentage of people in, you know, I don't know, majority or whatever it is. It's hard to tell because, yeah, you know, I, I saw a statistic that 120% of the adult voters in uh, Los Angeles have registered. Well, in order for the 120% of the adult voters to register, somebody's registering twice or somebody's not counting something right. Um uh, and the idea that 100% of anybody has registered as a voter, uh, rakes of voter fraud. Cause I know personally 100% of the people have not registered to vote. <laughs> so, uh, I don't, I don't know if you could have an honest vote in California <laughs> or many other places. And, and all the very common sense things that you could do to, you know, try to thwart some of the voter fraud that obviously goes on. Uh, certain parties do not want to implement. And they would be easy to implement, not very expensive, uh, uh, you know, somewhat effective. I mean, you're always going to get some voter fraud, but if, if you get 10% voter fraud, you're going to shift the entire election. And if you got 120% of the adult population registered to vote, <laughs> you've already got 20% voter fraud to begin with. So, if you if you're resting your hopes on democracy you better take a deep breath cuz it's going to be a bumpy ride but anyway you know trump comes out and he wants this wall and on, and like i said there's several statistics concerning the wall uh like they they throw out you know like um 60% of the people that are in this country illegally came in and are s- simply overstaying their visas Absolutely. That's probably true. I I don't know exactly, but that's the statistic. But if 40% are not overstaying their visas, but they came in some other way, that's a huge amount of people. And then MS13 people who have been arrested, <laughs> convicted and deported, they're not getting visas. They're not they're coming over the border. Uh, if you built a wall, which is pretty amazing if you could even do that along the Mexican border, and I don't know anybody who's actually proposing to do it the entire length. Yeah, I mean, there's places where you can drive across. There's just dirt roads. That just, you can just drive right across, and nobody's there to stop you. If you get enough of them, how does anybody... You know, my son went down to the border and actually talked to the border guards and toured uh, different areas. Uh, he took his father-in-law down there to go... Hunting, and so he went over, and he's just an outgoing kind of guy, and started talking to border guards, and started asking them questions, and seeing how. And they pointed out a big track hole down the down the way on the other side on the Mexican side, and he says, sometime during the night, that's going to fire up and move to a different spot along the border, and create a road and ramp, and before dawn. There'll be a dozen trucks or half a dozen trucks that will come zooming across the desert and jump the border and just take off in different directions. We can't catch them all. You know, we have to be here when that happens. Uh, then we can chase one. We might be able to chase two. And we have to catch them and pull them over. And then we're occupied doing that. And the other guys are going. Well, in one pickup, you can carry a million dollars worth of heroin. Uh, so, you know, and, and people say, oh, if you build a wall, they'll just tunnel under. Who's tunneling? The, the poor people from <laughs> Nicaragua don't walk up to the border and crawl underneath it through a tunnel. They don't tunnel under. This is big money that is doing these things. So, but it, you know, you can go on like this all day long and argue these points back and forth. Again, uh... You know, Ron Paul's probably got a better track on the thing than most people, but the reality is, is he can't even get the pittance that it would take to build the wall. He's certainly not going to get you guys to give up your socialism and your other covetous practices that have made you merchandise. Um, so, really, what is the problem? We look at all you can you can flail around in the quicksand saying, you know, that I want to fix this, and I want to change that, and all this stuff, but you're still in the quicksand. If you really want to get back to where the problem is at, something you can do something about, the problem you need to address is the one inside you. That's where you're going to need to go. And this, I hate Trump club, that I see developing all over the United States, and large and small ones, little community ones, they get together, and there's actually a group that locally it's called the I Hate Trump Club, at least by all the other people I know, I don't know. But they get together like once a week and sit down, and they just bash Trump. Uh, Trump is the problem. Uh, and they just look at all the things, and whether he does something wrong, you know, or says something wrong or says something incorrect, that's all they want to talk about. That is not productive. What you want to get together every week and talk about your problems. Because <laughs> you can do something about your problems. And this pointing your finger at other people or you know, is a total distraction. It's not doing you any good. It's not helping you get any better. So we're going to talk about getting a little bit better. You know, I mentioned the pundits who want to talk about uh, Trump and talk against everything he says and... And refute everything he says, which just feeds the I hate Trump clubs all over the United States. And you can find this in other countries. I just happen to be in, in. I mean, sure, you, you can go up to, I'm sure there's a I hate Trudeau club in Canada or two. Uh, as a matter of fact, I the local I hate Trump club is, uh, at least one of the members is a Canadian. So I thought, well, why don't you just go up and hate Trudeau? <laughs> Somebody's down here hating Trump. Everybody's got to have somebody to hate so that they don't have to look at themselves and their own problems and because you're not going to fix the world's problems until you fix your own which is kind of a Jordan Peterson kind of concept don't try to fix the world until you can make your bed in the morning and get up and do things right by you so anyway we'll we'll come back to keys of the kingdoms and, and we'll we'll look at how how you can build a wall of truth that will not only protect you, but uh, uh, may help save society. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we've heard from a lot of pundits this week criticizing Trump. I uh, I thought there was one video that I saw of a uh, Border Guard actually talking about the problems. That, and I was kind of amazed at the statistics he was throwing out. It was like 400 people they caught. The day before
0: <laughs> you know,
1: and uh, like over a hundred and twenty five or 50 or uh, some number over a hundred anyway were from foreign countries other than South America and Central America and uh, he, he started rattling off some of the countries uh, you know India and Pakistan and and uh, different places and uh, and he actually threw in Nicaragua there in the video. And somebody, I had shared this with some people that are counted as supposedly my friends, and uh, one of them pointed out Nicaragua is not, uh, you know, Nicaragua is a Central American country. Uh, the reality is, is that I, I'm pretty sure that guy knew that. He looks Hispanic uh, himself. He's uh, uh, clearly an American, but uh, uh, he knows where Nicaragua is, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but he, the guy was talking really fast. And he was just throwing things out really quick. Uh, he seemed to be very accurate in his numbers. Uh, he seemed to be a very honest person, uh, diligent in his job, and uh, not rehearsed, not staged, just throwing these things out. And he, and you could almost see in his face that he realized, well, yeah, because he was naming these foreign countries, and then he threw in Nicaragua. But he had just said, also from, you know, Mexico and Nicaragua and several other south of but not just them. Over a quarter of the people that they arrested or around a quarter of the people that they arrested, over a hundred uh, or detained or whatever, were from countries other than South America and Central America. That's, you know, Chinese, all kind, you know, that's amazing. And this is, this is just one guy talking about down there in Texas. Um, you know, he didn't arrest that, but he's obviously in charge of a lot of men. You know, this is a, it's a huge deal, but... The idea that he's going to pick on everything the guy said because he threw in the word Nicaragua along with China and, and India and Pakistan and, uh, I think he mentioned Romania. <laughs> so there's all kinds of people coming across. That's one day. That's one day of people coming across. Not on overstayed visas, but they go, they get a visa to Mexico and then they cross the border. And, uh, And they come here, and they've they've got to have some place they think they're going. And so there's a whole network of people. I mean, I've seen it where people come across the border, and they have other people that meet them and take them somewhere else. I mean, there's a whole chain of people coming in by the thousands. And is this the other 20% of the 120% that are registering for votes? You want to talk about foreign... You know, intervention in your election—that looks like foreign intervention in your elections, but it's out of control. But people don't want to see that because they hate Trump, and so they—they they will shoot themselves in the foot because they hate Trump. And again, though, remember my position is that you want a wall of truth because a wall of truth, real truth, not just your truth. You know, a pundit is a person who offers mass media their opinion or commentary on a particular subject or area of their expertise or what they the definition actually says, he or she is knowledgeable of or can at least appear to be knowledgeable of. (laughs) The word pundit actually is a, it's a it's a word that we immigrated to america by way of england by way of india it's originally a sanskrit word that that uh means a knowledgeable or skilled individual and uh and we've turned it into this pundit uh word that we use uh, bringing in other cultures other people is great but you can also bring in toxins and poisons and and things that will destroy your society and the reality is is that you go and watch the media and if you're looking for what you want to hear and you're looking to find fault with other people because you have this anger and animosity towards one group or another you're you're not going to build a wall of truth you're not going to put on the armor of god you're, you're going to fall prey to liars and the liar of liars. And you're going to do something really stupid. <laughs> or promote something that's really stupid. And so we're going to look at some of these processes of how we, as Polybius says, degenerate as a society and become perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. Uh, which is part of a quote that I give a lot of the times, which is all about what Polybius talks about is the anacyclosis of society. So what the... in tarnations is the anacyclosis of society? <laughs> uh, you know, the, there was an article written by a guy, he looks like he's a little kid, but it, he, he's very intelligent, evidently. I like the article. Uh, it's called The Separation of Powers... From Polybius to James Madison. You can find it. uh, It was written for libertarianism.org, but you can also find it on the Foundation of Economic uh, Education. And it was written by a a guy, Paul Meany, who's a student at Trinity College in Dublin, or at least he was when he wrote it. But he talks about the the central problem of anacyclosis as Polybius characterizes it, because that's originally kind of a, a Greek word is the lack of continuity between successive generations. The the justice of the, the monarch decays to the pride of the tyrant. And so how that happens, how do we... Because, you know, everybody's talking about, you know, equating Trump with... uh And I'm not here to defend Trump. I'm just using this as a springboard so that we can go, you know, dive deeper into the quagmire of our own iniquity. Our own personal iniquity. So that we can get our life in order. Because uh, your destiny is not really dependent upon Trump. Your destiny is dependent upon you. And the decisions you make. The bad decisions and the good decisions. Because that—that that you are the master of your ship. So either you paddle your way over the falls. Or you head to dry ground and uh, find salvation in Christ but it has to be the real Christ it has to be the real rock that will save you and not an imaginary rock that you think you, you are saved so this idea of uh, anticyclosis um, you know we there's actually definitions of that you can actually look it up uh, Wikipedia and they, they talk about anticyclosis big huge long word but it's a uh, uh, a cyclical theory of political evolution is what they're talking about, is that, you know, you go from generation to generation. And remember, the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. But the kingdom of hell is also from generation to generation. Noah was saved because he was, not because he was a righteous man, but he was at least righteous in his generations. He's gonna He's going to build a boat because he sees something coming. And his sons help him build that boat. That they make it, his life work becomes their life work. They honor their father. And because of that, they're saved. Uh, there's not a lot of that going on in the world today. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, the reality is is that you need to, there, there's many different aspects to this anticyclosis. This 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 either evolution of man and his spiritual being or the devolution of man and his fall. So this theory of anticyclosis is based upon this Greek uh, typology of constitutional forms of rule by one or by a few or by many. And, uh, you know, they talk about anticyclosis uh, states that these three basic forms of supposedly benign government monarchy uh, aristocracy and democracy are inherently weak and unstable well why are they inherently weak well it actually goes back to what the individual is doing it's not the group think it's the individual think where you're going to find the solution to the problem this is why i'm i'm saying you go jo- join i love trump clubs or i hate trump clubs. Or, I hate Trudeau clubs, or I love Trudeau clubs, (laughs) or what a lot of people do is they end up with third, fourth, fifth parties and, uh, you know, I'm the constitutional party, I'm the libertarian party, I'm all these other things. The real problem of solving the problems of the whole world start with your problems you got to solve your problems. You've got to find a solution to your problem. And you cannot do that in a vacuum. So God said, it's not right that you be alone. So it starts, you know, Jordan Peterson has it starting you with you making your bed so that you can lie in that. And of course, everybody out there in the I Hate Trump Club are making their bed, but their bed is made with hate sheets, <laughs> angry sheets, and... Uh, You know, and of course, they're all accusing Trump of being a racist. That's another thing that I I, I just find. And and deep down, he might be somewhat of a racist. I'm not not sure that there's anybody who could say that they're not racist, uh, including black people. I see racism, which all that is, is judging somebody by the color of their skin. And if they're talking about white privilege, they're, they're racist. That's a racist statement. You know, you're saying that all people that are white have privilege. Because they're racist. Uh, because they're white, excuse me. Uh, that, that's judging people by the color of their skin or by their race. And you can't do that. And, and I don't know anybody who doesn't do it somewhat subliminally. Uh, you know, but how much? Where's the balance? And and the reality is is that you, you need to constantly be going back and taking a look at yourself. And... The more you see of yourself, the more, and this is this is one of the metaphysical phenomena of society. I'll talk more about this in, in the show this afternoon, uh, which I save for that show in the afternoon. <laughs> is that the more you are willing to see about yourself, the more light you will bring into the world. So that other people may see the truth about themselves. Your awakening will help other people awoke. <laughs> become awoke, uh, the woke people. You know the people that are beginning to see. But you have to bring that light in. And hate is not light. Hate is darkness. Uh, you can't be a pundit uh, and, and be spreading hate and anger and resentment, uh, because that, that's you know that hate and anger shows that you're not wise. You you've already turned your back on some of the fundamental cause and effect, principles of creation, uh, which we'll get into and, and we'll, we'll connect the dots on that and explain that as we, as we get through this. Um, he talks about these, these weaknesses in these monarchies, aristocracies, and democracies are inherently weak and unstable, tending to degenerate rapidly into the three basic forms of malignant government which are tyranny, oligarchy, and occlocracy, which is just basically mob rule, uh, which is, you know, that's one of the complaints about democracy is that it's, it's nothing more than mob rule, where 51% of the people take away the rights of the other 49. And again, I pointed out this, and you can see it on our articles and our audios on democracy, that in, until sometime between 1927 and 1954... It was commonly understood that democracy was a wicked and bad form of government that led to the degeneration of society. But by 1954, it suddenly became what we're fighting for. And in the Field Manual in 1927, it was bad. It was an evil form of government. So some some transition took place in the generation between 1927 and 1954 that was preoccupied with war. That suddenly democracy became a good thing. now, there are democratic principles you know such as you get to decide what to do with the nuts that you have gathered, <laughs> which is capitalism so in that sense, capitalism is somewhat democratic in the sense that you get to decide how to redistribute the wealth that you produce your what you produce your means of production you get to decide how to redistribute that if you want to go off and become mother teresa and give everything away and 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 help other people and sacrifice yourself you get to do that in capitalism socialism somebody else is going to tell you what you can do <laughs> they're going to control you whether it's the mob or uh you know an oligarchy or a single tyrant like stalin or mao Uh, They're going to tell you what you can do. And that's what socialism leads, because socialism needs to give power to some group of people or individuals to decide how to redistribute the wealth. You can't vote on every dollar you're going to redistribute. So you you begin to centralize power in order to create socialism because that's why socialism is not an economic system by itself. It's a political economic system. While capitalism can be entirely apolitical. It can be just you get to decide. And to some degree, every time you decide to give away a dollar, keep a dollar, give away ten dollars, or keep five dollars or whatever, that you produce, or six nuts, or whatever you want to call it, that's your vote. That's your votive offering. You get to decide. That's, you could call that democratic. But that's one of the things why words have multiple meanings. Democratic, if it's, If you think democracy, which is somewhat true, is called democracy, where 51% of the people can take away the rights of the other 49. Now, there are certain things in the Constitution, if you want to change the Constitution, you have to have more than 51%, but it's still mob rule. In a republic, there is no 51% taking away the rights of the other 49. A pure republic. It's when you mix republican form of government with democracy that you can get you can move society towards that mob rule that aclacracy but anyway uh, according to the doctrine of benign governments have the interest of all at heart whereas malignant governments have the interest of a select few at heart that's identity politics identity, you, you can't get that malignant form of government until identity politics becomes pervasive in your thinking where you begin to think you know like somebody just gave a report on the fact that there's a lot of black people that are uh, opting for segregation they want all black schools uh, because they love their blackness which is fine you know I don't have any objection to that but the reality is is that you can see this theory of of uh, identity politics, you know, I'm black, I'm Indian, I'm, I'm an immigrant, I'm an illegal immigrant, you know, and you begin to identify with my group. And and you see this with with the LGBT community. You know, like, you know, where, where is this? Is there some community where everybody in that community, (laughs) everybody on the block is gay? And they're in the LGBT community. I don't even know what all that stands for. LGBT. I guess each one stands for a different word. I don't. Uh, the reality is, is that, is that really a community? You know what a community is? It's people who have a common communion. In other words, they have their own welfare system. So that if somebody needs, you know, free bread, communion, that's what communion is, free bread. And, you or you know, or free help, free you know, do the same in meats uh, as uh, John the Baptist says. If you have a community, people in that community are sharing what they produce. So, if you had a capitalist community, there would be some system of charity to help out those people who fell on hard times. Uh, you know, uh, I have sons who work sometimes in hazardous positions. One lost the tip of his finger and another one just actually got hurt the other day a little bit. Supposedly, people help them out. They're all back working, but they sometimes what happened if you fell and broke your back and you couldn't walk? You need a lot of help. Well, that, that aid and assistance that you build into your community and the way in which you manifest that, that's the communion of a community. So, if you have an LGBT community, they should have their own system of private social welfare that takes care of them to be a community. But they want to make themselves a community just based on identity. They want to eat at the tribe of every other community, <laughs> but call themselves this separate community. Well, you can't really have it both ways, you know, but that everybody does, you know, because they, they, You know, they don't become... If you want to really have a dependent community, a community that is actually a community unto itself, then you should have your own system of social welfare in that community and be taking care of one another. And then you reproduce, you know, the next generation. Although the LGBT community doesn't reproduce the next generation if they are true to their claim. So they have to you know recruit from other communities and i mean that's just that's just biology i didn't make that up <laughs> so i can't do anything about that so but they're not really a community they're an identity group and they worship their identity group and they hail their identity group but they want to feed off of other identity groups which they sometimes hate and dislike now i'm, I'm I'm putting these, the people who talk about that all in one group. I don't want to put them in that group. I'm, I want to deal with people on an individual basis. I'm just saying, you know, I'm trying to get you to look at it, to walk around your ideology and look at it from other points of view so that you can walk around yourself and look at yourself and how you make decisions from another point of view so that you can delve deeper into you and see why do I think what I think? You know, but obviously, in in the process of trying to do this, I'm going to trigger a lot of people. And they're going to become angry at me. Uh, but the reality is is that that if you want to help society, you have to get your own act together. If you want to help your community, whatever you think your community is, you have to get your act together. You have to become a workable and viable individual first. And then, you know, if you want to get married uh, and have a family, you need to work on yourself first so that you bring something of value to the marriage. You don't want to get married because you're incomplete as an individual, as a woman or as a man. You want to become complete as a woman as a man and you know that you come together with another woman or a man, uh, you know, that's the natural way, is the opposite sex, and then you may find completeness, but it's in the sacrifice that it takes to become that unit we call family. Because to create a family requires sacrifice. You have to give up a portion of your life for others and those others are the children that you produce or adopt or whatever so but that that's a deep interpersonal and we call viable process that is the core of society. people are trying to fix governments and societies and nations it they all start with the individuals and so you have to go back to those individuals. Uh, anyway, the definition goes on and talks about the idea of uh, anacyclosis influenced theorists of republicanism. Some of them, including Aristotle, Cicero, Machiavelli, Fico, even Kant, which I may talk more about Kant and a- other programs. He's kind of an interesting guy. But uh, suggested that mixed forms of government might help stabilize what they are calling republics. They're not pure republics, but they're mixed forms of a republican form of government. In other words, they're just like capitalism doesn't have any political side to it until you add that in. And then it's not capitalism. It's that political thing. Like if, if you have capitalism in, in um, socialist governments uh, or a mix of, you know, like Sweden, people say is Sweden is a socialist government no it's not it's it's actually capitalist it's uh market driven a society They have socialist type programs in it, but it's not really a socialist government. It has a certain amount of democracy in it a certain amount of socialism but they've actually over the the last generation or so rolled back their original socialist structure and realized it doesn't work and they have privatized their social security and and many other things. And there's guys who've done whole movies on this and books on this. And you can go read about that. But we're going to get deeper into uh, this idea of where the solution really is at. And it isn't in giant movements. It's in internal movements within yourself to prevent that anticyclosis towards malignancy. And we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, really, you know, I'm talking about a lot of these high ideals and thoughts of different people from um, historians to uh, psychologists uh, throughout the ages. And, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of uh, cramming a, a synopsis of what uh, you might learn in college 50 years ago, <laughs> but you won't learn today, or at least you might find it difficult to learn today. Uh, into these radio programs. And so you don't have to, you know, there there is a test later, but I'm not going to be asking you to remember all the names like uh, uh, Machiavelli and Kant and, and these different personalities who have talked about these things. But I'm trying to sum these things up and, and like I say, springboard off of uh, current events uh, so that you can take a look at yourself because you you really have a lot more control or influence Over your destiny than you realize. But you don't know where that control starts and stops. And and you don't need to know. You just need to apply yourself and and the life you are given in a certain way. And you will, and God will do the rest. You know, we're prodigal sons. We've left the house of God. Some people think they're back just because they say they believe. But Jesus said, it's not what you say, but what you actually do. So, And belief is something that forces you to do things a certain way. It's, it's a conviction. It's not an idea in your head. You actually are compelled to do certain things. I mean, in, in courts of law, I've seen judges where they want to determine whether this individual has a, only a belief. He thinks something's true, or if it's a conviction. Is it deep down? not all judges understand (laughs) that significance but it's amazing that you'll find some that do Uh, there's a lot of people who go through life and they really don't understand what's going on but anyway uh, we're going to try to give you some enlightenment as to what is going on and and one of the quotes is all existing things are subject to decay and change is a truth that uh, scarcely needs proof for the course of nature is sufficient to force this conviction on us. So, things are subject to decay. Well, you remember the old Boy Scout handbook, maybe you don't, but uh, for your nature merit badge, they always have this picture, of, you know, you have a tree and it loses leaves and they go into the ground and the worms eat that and then other things. Grass grows up and then, you know, the animal eats the grass and then the wolf eats the animal and then, you know, it goes back into the soil and so you have this cycle of nature. So, Night and day, life and death, it's a part of the cycle of nature. I come from a long line of dead people. They're dead now. I'm the generation that's alive. My sons are the generation beneath that. And their children are the generations beneath that. And I'll probably get flack because I said sons and not sons and daughters. But the generation to generation is what I'm trying to point out. Is... Is where life is going. And so there's this cycle built into the structure of the universe that is a part of the plan and pattern in order to teach you things that you may not know, to awaken you to a reality that you cannot see with those physical eyes of yours. And it's actually a spiritual reality, a spiritual universe, Another dimensional aspect that we cannot see, feel, or touch. But we can experience because we ourselves are spiritual creatures. Fallen to our physical natures. So anyway, that's as far as we're going on that metaphysical part of the discussion. But again, like I said, Aristotle, Cicero, Machiavelli, Kant, all these different guys uh, were... Had these political doctrines of uh, anacyclosis, where there is this cycle in in our political existence. And Polybius uh, sequences his anacyclosis and, and proceeds uh, with the idea that we begin with a monarch and go to a kingship, and then tyranny, and then aristocracy, and oligarchy, and democracy, and that ochlocracy that mob rule, but. Some things are lost in translation, which you'd have to go back to the original Greek. Things don't really begin with the monarchy. The Bible tells us this. They begin with mom and pop, father and mother. <laughs> That's where they begin with the individual. First with Adam. And then it's right that Adam not be alone. So then he gets Eve. And then Adam and Eve can produce Cain and Abel and Seth and generation upon generations. And, of course, they need other families doing the same thing to create nations. And so the same pattern is going to go through there. But it doesn't begin with the monarch, except because, like in Israel, there were no kings. Every man was king in his own household, in his own castle. That's where it begins. But then it begins to shift where you find some prominent, charismatic individual and he becomes a monarch. Now, it's interesting that he has these categories of monarch, then kingship. Well, the monarch, it, you know, when we say king or, or monarch, how much power does the king have? You at times in history, if you were a real student of history and you would look closely, you, you'll find shepherd boys scolding kings. You'll find a farmer throwing rocks at King David and and his second-hand man says, Shall I smite him? And he says, No, he's right. Uh, that that farmer throwing rocks at David had a wall of truth around him. And he was able to throw rocks at the king and scold the king because the king was not the king of that man's soul. He was He just held an office. But, you know, there are kings who can get more and more power and evil wants to be king of your soul. Which we see in Revelation, where it talks about making slaves of men and their souls. So anyway, uh and this is what I want. I want you to be slaves to Christ. I don't want you to be a, because Christ wants to set you free. So if you're a slave to Christ, that's the only way to freedom. That is that is the only way to freedom in this generation or the next. Is that you? Seek to be slaves of Christ because He's the only one who really wants to set you free. Everybody else will be tempted by the three temptations of Christ, and they will become tyrants over you. Whether it's your pastor, or your uh, your doctor, or your politician, they will. You give them power, they will rule over you. So anyway, uh, uh, that sequence that uh, Polybius talks about really it begins with the father and that's why all government is based on the law of the father but fathers can become tyrants too so how do you prevent that and then how do you you know they talk about this concerning this rule of one or few of many this democracy is not the rule by the many but rather ruled by the majority whereas a true republic the rule of the many is based in the individual because the the leaders are not rulers in a pure republic. Now, most people won't understand that. Go read our article on a republic. But it, the original definition of a republic, the leaders were titular. They had no real authority. The real authority remained with the people. In a republican form of government, the state is in every individual. It's the division of power that we talk about in the three branches of government in the United States, is actually a division of power in every individual family. There is no concentration of power. As soon as you start that concentration of power that I I mentioned before with Vico and Kant and, and Cicero, is where you're mixing this republican form of government with other forms of government or other forms of e- economics, etc. And now, in order to do that, you have to do what the Romans uh, called, uh, take what the Romans called potestas, or the imperium, which is the power that is in every individual from that beginning, that original atom, it in an office or power, uh, group of men, like a senate or congress or a presidency or some other group of men and they get to make choices which were once reserved only for the individual but if if all the power of the state remains with the individual people say well that's anarchy because you have no rulers well no you have rulers you have you know if you have a million people in your society you have a million rulers <laughs> Well that's going to be chaos. Well it is going to be chaos unless there is some sort of common thread of right reason in those people. And and that common thread will show those million individuals as an organized system. They will organize them they will self-organize themselves. I mean you have a billion cells in your body. And they're they're in your body, but not because you're a dictator, but but they have self-organized themselves. That was going on in the womb of your mother. Cells were being born all from these two little cells that have come together and united as one cell, and then they divide and divide and divide and divide, and they self-organize themselves into a human body. That's nature. So if that's nature... Why aren't you self-organizing yourselves, all those individual families out there, self-organizing themselves into one body? Because if you would actually do that according to right reason, you would be the body of Christ. But if you just want to label yourself the body of Christ and say you're the body of Christ, but not self-organizing yourself, then you do not have a wall of truth around you you do not have the armor of god you have an imagination you have an imagination you may worship and believe in but that's idolatry that that you have created an image and you believe in that image you're not actually self-organizing yourself and you know we pointed out before and we're not going to go into it deep right here but Christ commanded, Jesus commanded that his disciples make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Why? So that you could work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So that you could get your act together. So that you could interact with others, keeping your individual soul in contact. In in, in uh, the context of a free society. That's why they used to call it free assemblies. That's what a congregation is, a free assemblies. It's you voluntarily coming together and sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Christ commanded that His ministers make the people do that. Now, they don't make them do it with whips, but they require that they sit down before the loaves and fishes, before they can have communion, before they can have community. They have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands upon the grass. The good shepherd leadeth us beside still waters so that we may lay down in green pastures. Christ said, sit down in green pastures in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And required his ministers to make the people do that before they get loaves and fishes. Without the loaves and fishes of a society, you are not a community. You call yourself a community, like I said, with the LGP, and I don't want to pick on them. We can do it with all kinds of communities. People say they're communities, but their their social welfare comes from outside their community. They get it. They 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 actually pray to men who exercise authority one over the other to get their daily bread, their food stamps, their welfare, their public school, all these things. They're getting it from men who exercise authority. Christ forbid that. But yet they say they believe in Christ, but they're not doing what he said. So, if you want to get your act together, get, to, to, to get yourself together, you need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Why? So that you will have somebody to forgive and somebody to give to. You need that, that Christ came to sacrifice himself. If we're going to come in the name of Christ, we need to sacrifice ourselves. We don't all have to get crucified, but we have to lay down some of our life so that we may pick up life more abundant. You know, and I'm not talking about, um, uh, what do they call that? Prosperity gospel. Prosperity of the soul. Yes. Because either society is devolving or it's evolving. And uh, that—that's—that's that's what we have to—to to manifest in our life. The leaders, like I said, of a true republic are titular in nature. It is not. What is right reason? For years, right reason was defined as divine will. Whatever God is, this heuristic we we call God, Yahweh, YHWH. It's, it's that pattern. It is the cause of the pattern of creation. It is that intelligent design that we see repeated over and over again in creation. And that is... We also can label that as divine will because God put that pattern in motion. We can also label that same divine will as right reason. Because... The reason of God is right reason. When that right reason is in individuals and they come together and self-organize themselves, they become a part of a creation that is unending. That eternal kingdom of God whose kingdom goes on and on and on in in a timeless cycle of creation. But if we do anything to interrupt that process... Then we go into that, uh, anacyclosis where we begin the process of decay. A father, a mother, they come together, they're young, they're viable, they're, they have children, they raise up those children, they become older and older, and the body begins to break down. And they may end up falling dependent upon their children to take care of them in their last days. And, of course, that's part of the Ten Commandments. Honor thy father and mother, which doesn't just mean to take care of, but to to remain obedient to your father and your mother. If you don't do that, you will end up with tyrants. You will end up with dictators. You will end up with despots. Now, there are other things that can bring that about, which is why there are Ten Commandments. But all those Ten Commandments can be summed up into basically two commandments. One is to love that right reason, that God, that divine will, that source of divine will. We call that God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But the other aspect that is required is that you love your neighbor as yourself. Because Christ came to sacrifice himself out of love for you. You need to gather together for love of others. You don't go to church for a good feeling. You go to church so that you may sacrifice some of yourself for the well-being of others. Now, how you do that, that's going to be up to you and the Holy Spirit. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit is not coming into you, then you will not have right reason. So if you go join the I Hate Trudeau or I Hate Trump Club or I Love Trump Club, I Love Trudeau Club, I guess there's those out there too. You need to gather an I Love the Lord God Club, the Creator of Heaven and Earth Club. <laughs> and when you and how will you know you're in that club? Just because you go to church and they sing songs and they make you feel good? No, if you're doing the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? Forgive your neighbor, uh, take care of your neighbor. Love is the same word for charity. Be charitable toward your neighbor. To create the communion of God, where you're now taking care of one another. So what is the way that we commonly see throughout history that people do that? They gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So, yeah, we have a gathering coming up. Of course, by the time a lot of people hear this, this has already passed. But you join the network and you find out where all the gatherings are. There's a gathering coming up in Florida tomorrow. And uh, you join the network at preparingyou.com or org. Join that network and ask, where's that at? <laughs> and by noon, maybe you can get there. But uh, that's, that's why we created this network, so that you can find ways in which to come together to help one another, to be there for one another, to learn. And you don't really, I can't really teach you the metaphysical aspects of the kingdom. I can allude to them. But only the Holy Spirit can teach you those things. But the Holy Spirit comes when you're willing to lay down all the stuff that has been put on you already. You have to let go in order to grab on to the truth and to create that, put on that armor of God. It may not fit with all that other garbage you're wearing. <laughs> so you may have to set some stuff down first. But anyway, the, this beginning with this honoring of your father and mother, but continues from our forgotten ancestral beginnings to the unseen progeny of our eternal future, which all reside in the heuristic of this timeless God. We are not a product of ourselves. You know, people say, Well, I have rights. Well, you, those rights are inherited from a succession of generations. If you if your parents were born slaves, you're probably going to be born slaves too. The, the Bible very makes it very clear that you will be made merchandise if you engage in covetous practices. Your children will be cursed with debt. That's a, They will become a surety for debt if you engage in covetous practices from generation to generation. People have done that. So, But there is salvation in Christ. But... You have to actually seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And Christ told you how to do that. So you have to start turning around and doing that. So without this decent respect and pious reverence of that which extended before you existed as an individual, your father and your mother, your grandfather and your grandmother, and the generations that have gone before, you may rapidly decay to a cor- corrupted state or form, and that's what we see. That's what Polybius is talking about: how you have one generation, and, and there's lots of other psychologists to talk about that, where a generation builds up, becomes, you know, wealthy, successful, uh, and the second generation becomes spoiled, uh, doesn't appreciate what they have, and they destroy it which is what we see going on in America. There are people actually being graduated from college every day want to destroy the very things that allowed America to become as successful and so absent of real poverty. I mean, the poor people today in America live better than the kings of old because we've constructed this massive economic system that... Where you you can you can walk into almost any store you can go collect a few cans on the street you can go collect your food stamp check and go in and get fruit from South America uh in january <laughs> in in north Dakota uh, What on earth is that that's just amazing that comes to you not by way of socialism it comes to you by way of capitalism unleashing the power of the individual by allowing the individual to take control of his own life. Now, can you have wicked things that come out of capitalism? Yes, because you can have wicked things that come out of freedom and out of liberty. You give people the right to be free and make choices. Some people are going to make bad choices. Some people are going to make selfish choices. But if you take away that choice and centralize it in the hands of a few I can guarantee you that few will make bad choices too, because power corrupts that's not a new thing that's an old thing so you have to have a respect for your parents a respect for your grandparents, even if they delivered you into bondage you have and and you cannot have that unless you forgive them of whatever you know whether they did anything wrong to you or real or imagined uh whether they were lazy, whether they you know maybe dad drank too much, maybe mom was uh uh too distracted by her, you know, card group or whatever. <laughs> whatever you think you you know, you you imagine and I think a lot of the ills and, and evils that we have put on our parents are actually imagined they're accused of things that you know, we just don't understand the pressures that they were under. We might not have done it as well. We and obviously if you look out in society, families are not doing as well as they used to. Uh, for a long time, but you have to forgive them and care for them because through that process, you will awaken. And and through that process, you will have a greater light around you and a greater wall of protection around you. Many people believe that, that uh, like other animals, humans are naturally heard. Creatures, that they need other people and that's true uh, and there are some people who are kind of recklessly they think they can get along without other people but then they usually develop other crutches you know maybe they become an alcoholic or addicted to some form of drug or, or self-abuse or all kinds of things uh, you need other people because you need to have somebody to forgive You need to, other people, because you need to have somebody to care for. Uh, Not so that they will care for you, but so that you will care for others. Because that's how that spirit that giveth life comes in you, is that you take the life you have and you give it to others. This is why he says, uh, that I lay down my life, that I may pick it up again. That's a process. That's a metaphysical, opens up a door to a metaphysical process that gives you more light. So when those people come together, that's that's what you come together to sacrifice, to love others. Other people come together because they fear. They, oh, we got to come together because we might be invaded or somebody might attack us or or, you know, I'm bored or whatever. And then, so now you want to be sure that the people are there for you. So then you bind each other together with contracts, covenants, and constitutions. You don't want that. You want to be bound together by love for one another. Love has to be practiced. And no pain, no gain. The evolution of, of society, whether it's going to be into saints or perfect savages, is going to be a natural transformation of individuals depending upon the choices that those individuals make. And again, back to why are you going to church? Going there so that you can get a good feeling? Going there uh, to reproduce an emotional state? Or are you going there like Christ came to us to sacrifice yourself for others? And are you doing it in the pattern that Christ said to do it? Well, we're going to look a little bit deeper into that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. After a brief break, we'll be right back. Meantime, join the network. So welcome back. So the evolution or devolution of society into perfect savages or saints is actually a natural transformation or or process. And that natural process of devolution occurs when we make choices that leads to the abandonment of certain basic social rituals and ceremonies and the processes of those And one of those is that you either are taking care of one another through charity or you're taking care of one another through force. If you're doing it through force, then you're doing it through what we would call covetous practices. Uh, That you want what your neighbor has, you want whether he's rich or poor or whatever, and you you are absolutely willing to elect men to take it away from your neighbor in order for you to get what you want. You will justify this in saying that you know that it's some sort of moral obligation that we should all take care of one another. Yes, but we need to do it by charity, because charity strengthens the individual. Force strengthens the autocracy. the uh, well, you know whether it's in the monarchy stage, the kingship stage or the tyrant stage, uh, you are giving more and more power to them. So, if you are not gathering together to form this network or this community of charity, then nature abhors a vacuum, so nature is going to bring in the the tyrant it will it will but in order to do that, it also has to weaken the people, and that process is what is taking place and so, if you are being slothful or greedy or lustful, or any of these things that we call vices, <laughs> uh, civil or social vices, then you are entering into a natural or process by which you will be turned into the food of giants uh, that will rise up and devour you and destroy you. And then you'll cry out, but God's not going to hear you because you did not hear the cries of your neighbor. You, you know, you you know, you heard them, but then you just turned up your TV, <laughs> or you know, you got a sound system in your church, you know, because you were interested in this feel-good status of delusion, rather than the be-good status of Christ. You know, you wanted to imagine that you believed in Christ rather than to actually operate by the faith of Christ, which would have clearly led your society to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands that Christ commanded His... I mean, that's just amazing to me. And people go out there and they study Christ and they study the Bible and all this stuff. And He's commanding that His disciples make the people sit down in these uh, companies of ten ranks of 50, ranks of a 1,000, because there's 5,000 families there, men and their families. And you don't incorporate that in your churches. Your churches are all over the place doing all kinds of things. You're certainly, you you don't go to your church for your daily bread. You go to the government, the men who exercise authority for your daily bread. Yet you call yourself a Christian. That's why I say that if all the people who say that they are Christians We're actually doing what Christ said to do, commanded that you do. Love one another, take care of one another, be charitable for one another, help one another. Don't go to the men who exercise authority one over the other, even though they call themselves benefactors. Don't do that. It's not to be that way with you. What part of not to be that way with you don't you understand? (laughs) Yet you think you're a Christian. You're under a strong delusion. Okay, when I snap my fingers, wake up. So, okay, did you wake up? <laughs> you know, the reality is, is, this is what you need to do. And it's really obvious. It's it's going to solve all the problems of the world the more you do that. It looks like it's going to be a bumpy resolution because so few of you are waking up. But then, now this, here's your opportunity. So anyway, before Polybius talked about this descending into perfect savages and and finding once more a monarch and a tyrant and a despot to to, to devour you and to, to take and take and take and take and take away like Samuel 8 says. Polybius, uh, talking about this appetite for benefits, he had some things to say in the context of that statement, which I don't usually read. You hear me read the other one over and over again, those who listen, because it just so hits the nail on the head. and And the fact that it predates... John the Baptist and Jesus Christ by 150 years or so, approximately, uh, is is astounding. Which shows that the, these ideas are not new. They've been around for a long time. And yet, he in his description is saying, this is what will destroy Rome. So people want to know why America is not great anymore. It's because we've lost sight of this, but we have taken <laughs> sight of the, our appetite for benefits. But we haven't admitted that they're unchristlike. That appetite for benefits at the expense of your neighbor, that biting your neighbor so that you can fill your own bellies, is anti Christ. It is actually the works of iniquity. But anyway, Polybius' statement, before he made that statement, he said perhaps this theory of natural transformation into each other of the different forms of government is more elaborately set forth by Plato and certain other philosophers, but as the arguments are subtle and are stated at great length, they are beyond the reach of all but a few. You know, so now I've gone through great lengths now talking to you about, you know, Plato, Aristotle. You know, I don't agree with Plato all the time, but he... He's looking at the problem from different directions, you know. Uh, and there, there's actually a little bit of sarcasm in Plato. And so that when people talk about Plato's Republic, and they try to describe it, Plato's Republic is not really a republic. Because <laughs> you know? he, he talks about the divergence from that, in the same way with Lycurgus and others. But anyway, so let's, let's try to... Look at those subtleties so that we can understand that. He goes on to say, I therefore will attempt to give a short summary of the theory as far as I consider it to apply to the actual history of facts and to appeal to common intelligence of mankind. For if there appear to be certain omissions in my general exposition of it, the detailed discussion which follows will afford the reader ample compensation for any difficulties now left unsolved. So, I mean, this is, this is over a hundred years before Jesus Christ. He's trying to explain this, that this appetite for benefits at the expense of others would alter the very state of the individual within society, plus Create an avenue to despotism and t- tyranny, which we have seen played out in the last century with the rise of communism through socialism in places like Communist China and Soviet Union. And now we see it not entirely divorced from those nations, because <laughs> it's still there, lingering like a, uh, uh, you know, festering wound. Like someone who thinks they cured cancer with chemotherapy. (laughs) They've actually undermined their immune system. But now we see it rising up in the Americas. Not only in Canada and Venezuela and other South American countries, but we see it rising up in the United States. We also see a backlash to that, but it's a weak backlash. And often a knife blade away from destruction like the the, the leader who' elected down in in uh, South america who i I don't agree with the what appears to be the spirit at which he is trying to get back to what made their nation great at one time um but he's already stabbed once and and there are people who want to do the same thing to other leaders that are trying to rise raise society out of this uh This plummeting descent into tyranny because it doesn't, you don't come out of it by electing and giving power to a leader. You know, he's going to be tempted to take power that is beyond the scope and then the next guy will take power beyond that scope. The change has to be fomented in society back at the individual level. And the beauty of it is that you can actually start doing that no matter where you are, what nation you are. All you have to do is start self-organizing yourself according to the character of Christ. So anyway, I go on to say, not knowing the pain and struggle of history, past, down from generation to generation, the grandchildren of those who won freedom for their descendants will be subject to that natural transformation into perfect savages, who banish freedom and liberty. Polybius warns of this in the pre- preceding context of the original quote concerning the warning of our modern millennials and the inevitable transformation into perfect savages if they do not learn and appreciate their own history. And that's why you see so much of it going on in schools today is degrading and... Uh, trying to uh, diminish anybody who actually showed, uh, some rising of society. I mean, they, they want to demonize, you know, everybody from Jefferson to Madison and find fault with all these people and, and that somehow everybody who was white was creating slaves. Even though the, the, the first slave owner in America, the legal slave owner in America, there was an indentured man, and he had, uh, and that indentured man ran away and broke his indenture. He uh, was brought back, and by law they said that he, he was now going to be a slave to the man that he um, had violated the indenture with, and that man was black. <laughs> I mean, the the slave owner was black. <laughs> so uh, now. The reality is that statute was allowed to pass because the people had already began to abandon those rituals and ceremonies of righteousness that made you know, that brings man towards sainthood. They they did not forgive the guy who broke his indentured agreement and abandoned it. You know Benjamin Franklin broke an indentured agreement. He was. He was uh, indentured as uh, an apprentice to his own brother, and uh, or at least where his brother worked to learn printing, and he violated that contract <laughs> and went off. Not a good start, but uh, anyway, uh, so the fact is is that you you know, this is why Jesus says, "If you owe the tax, pay the tax. You, you be righteous with the unrighteous famine. So that you'll be fit for more righteous habitations, so anyway, this is what Polybius goes on to say he says, but when a new generation arises and the democracy falls into the hands of the grandchildren of its founders, also remember his democracy is not quite like our what we think of as democracies, but this this democratic choice, they have become so accustomed to freedom and equality, that they no longer value them and begin to aim at preeminence and it is chiefly those of ample fortune who fall into this error. So when they begin to lust for power and cannot attain it through themselves or their own good qualities, they ruin their estate tempting and corrupting the people in every possible way. And hence, when when by their foolish thirst for reputation they have created amongst the masses an appetite for gifts and the habit of receiving them by this rule. Democracy in its turn is abolished and changed into the rule of force and violence. That's uh, Ocasio Cortez, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the spoiled, fairly rich kid, fairly well-off kid, is, is, thinks that, yeah, we just force people to pay for what we think is right, cause that's morally right. They don't realize that, you know, that force and violence that will be required to force people to pay. And actually, you can't, there isn't even, even if you taxed all the rich with a 70 or 80%, you're not gonna pay for what she wants. You have to borrow against the future of everybody. <laughs> so, and curse your children with the debt of your desires today. Uh, because they're spoiled. you know, I, I saw a rich kid on, on a show, just a little brief thing, it was that doctor show. The mother had a tremendous disciplinary problem with her teenage daughter. Her teenage daughter w- cannot live on $2,500 a month for an allowance, my whole family lives on less than $2,500 a month, she needs an allowance, her teenage daughter needs an allowance, she needs a special car, $200,000 car, all this stuff, and you know, eventually the doctor says, what you need is a job, (laughs) you need to go to work, no, she starts crying and bawling, no, no, I can't do this, This that's not the lifestyle I'm used to, well, that girl wasn't spoiled between the ages of 12 and 14. <laughs> she was spoiled way back. <laughs> and, the uh, the parents were missing something. And so, you know, evidently this was a problem back a hundred years before Christ because Polybius is talking about it. The grandchildren of the founders become accustomed to the freedom and equality, you know, the advantages, uh, of their existence and they lose sight of the appreciation of the hard work and diligence that got them to where they are at this is this is why you need to honor your father and your mother you need to respect them but it's partly the father and mother's fault because i mean one thing that a child sees when you homeschool your children is that you actually are the one who is sacrificing your time your energy falling asleep over their studies the for the night because you worked all day. Um, one of the things that society had to do is get the kids out of the house in, in, into school so they don't see what their parents are actually doing. They had to get the father working somewhere else so the kids don't actually see what their father is doing. And then you don't have this appreciation, you know. And then you have, uh, new math, <laughs> you know, core, uh, uh, common core education. Well, your parents can't even explain math because they're so stupid, but the reality is they're not so stupid and and you should respect them because that's the generation that allowed you to even exist and breathe and speak is because of what they've done. Now, as this generation after generation becomes less sacrificial, times become easier and easier. We can, you know, even the parents may become... Uh, more self-indulgent, less sacrificial for their kids. And of course, we could see that in that, that woman whose, whose child was just totally spoiled. You know, she could turn around. She could wake up. But people going around condemning the Americans that went before as if they were never great while they, they can buy bananas in North Dakota in January, uh, with their food stamps. You know, you guys got another thing coming. Somebody did something. <laughs> because you, the poorest people in America are richer than most people throughout the history of mankind. And, uh, uh, the advantages and opportunities you have are just unbelievable and you're totally unappreciative of it. But if you continue to remain so and continue to degrade your ancestors and, and, you know, I mean, the, there was good and bad in the past, obviously. But that's part of that walking around your whole being. You're walking around your ancestors, being willing to look at the weaknesses. But let's find the real weaknesses. The real weaknesses is identity politics, separation. There, you know, people like uh, Roger Williams went out and lived with the Indians to learn about them, to share with them, to work with them, sweat with them, toil with them, go hungry with them, and get cold with them. And uh, and they became one people. But others wanted to segregate, isolate, uh, demonize. And the reality, there were bad Indians. There were bad white Europeans. There were good Indians. There were good white Europeans. Good and bad is not the color of a person's pigment. Stop this identity politics. Turn around. Learn to come together. Because they... The powers that want to be your master and monarch want to divide you with identity politics because they can more easily rise to power when you do so. So, anyway, the, now this is where that quote that I always keep referring to—the masses uh, with an uh, are given this appetite for gifts and. Uh, and the habit of receiving them, and that, you know, gratuities, benefits, the word gifts there, it's translated different ways from the original, habit of receiving them, and abolish and change into the rule of force and violence, for the people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others, and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, uh, like uh, Cassio wants to do, as soon as they find a leader who is enterprising, but is excluded from the houses of office by his penury, they institute the rule of violence. And now, uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages and find once more a master and a monarch. So this is... This is why, this is all the opposite. Socialism is the absolute opposite of what Christ said. Christ believed in the redistribution of wealth by the individual. Christ believed in taking care of the needy by charity, not by force. So, uh, this, you know, if you need an education, but you want that education by forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you have abandoned the ways of Christ. Now, a lot of people don't see that. And, you know, I could tell them this over and over again, but they have to begin to make that connection. And I tell you, you know, I can make the connection intellectually, and we've just done that. But you need to make the connection spiritually. In order to make that connection spiritually, you have to forgive others. You have to forgive your father and your mother of whatever crime you think they committed. Whatever Discomfort that you think they have caused you you have to forgive your ex-wife your ex-husband You don't necessarily have to go back to them. You may have another relationship, but if you don't forgive that past relationship You will repeat that in your present relationship if you don't forgive your parents and your ancestors for their faults and appreciate and love them for their their existence and the, the fact that they allowed you to exist, that long line of dead people that I come from, I appreciate immensely. If you don't do that, you will repeat the same things in another form maybe, but the same spiritual precepts in your own family. And they will come back and bite you. So it's very important that you take a look at what is making you do what you do. If you've joined the I Hate Trump Club or the I Love Trump Club or the Trudeau Club or, you know, whatever. I don't know all the other leaders. You know, <laughs> in the world, I can't keep track. They keep changing. Uh, and I'm not interested in those. I'm just using those in a, as an example. I don't want to, you know, they are what they are. I'm not condemning them. I'm trying to lead you to salvation by showing you the way. And the way is you have to look at your relationship. Why in the world would you want to gather together and complain about a president that you really can't do much about? (laughs) Why don't you gather together for something a little bit more constructive and of value to others? So anyway, such as, uh, he goes on to say, such is the cycle of political revolution. This is the first lines after that we've descended to and found once more a master and a monarch. Such is the cycle of political revolution, the course appointed by nature in which constitutions change, disappear, and finally return to the point from which they started. Anyone who clearly perceives this may indeed, in speaking of the future of any state, be wrong in his estimate of the time the process will take, but if his judgment is not tainted by animosity and jealousy. So that's why you want to quit the I hate Trump club. But anyway, we'll have to continue this this afternoon. And we'll talk more about this and the keys of the kingdom and the salvation of all uh, when we come back to keys of the kingdom next week. God bless.